Awesome. All right. Okay. Let's let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for just the opportunity to come and worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and search out what is true and to wrestle with things. Thank you that you give us just a great time to goof off and enjoy one another. Um, Jesus, I ask that as we wrestle with truth, that we would be able to keep you in front of us and that we would be able to... um, to wrestle with, with you and, and to praise you and to, to understand what it meant for you to be fully God and fully man and come and to die for us and to care for us. And Holy Spirit, as I, I always pray, give us courage to believe what's true and to throw out what's false. Ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, we are in kind of a new series. Uh, I didn't get a slide put together for it, but oh, one more thing. Sorry, I am just... I have so many announcements in my head. High schoolers, you are going out with Rod. There you go, sorry. Just got a lot of things packed in my head today. Um, so, we're in a new series. We've been in a series called Healing. And we've been in this series from January to Easter. And somebody's alive. Awesome. Um, and the whole point of that was for us to look at Jesus and see how he approached people and how he healed them. Because we want to be disciples of Jesus and we want to follow him in the way that he engages in healing. But also with the realization that we're people in need of healing. And when we talk about healing, what we were, we were thinking is that we need healing in our bodies physically. We need healing in our heart. We need healings for our emotions. We need healing in our soul, meaning our personality, the essence of who we are. Um, and we need healing in our mind and the way we think. And so we were looking at people in Matthew and Mark and John who got healed and how they responded to Jesus to help us understand what it actually looks like to be needy. And so if you could imagine this time in January to Easter as sort of um, pre-med or pre-disciple, or you're just kind of getting introduced to healing, and we trying to get you familiar with the saying that we use a lot here at the village, which is the village is about healing one person at a time, or healing the city one person at a time. That there's kind of an intimacy that we're looking to have and, and to offer healing in a very deep way to one another. And so you could imagine this time between January and Easter as pre-med. And so this new series is just five weeks, and it is kind of to give you the basics. That if you're going to be someone who offers the healing of Jesus and to step into people's lives and, and offer Jesus to them, then there's some basics that you need to know. You gotta understand the anatomy. You gotta understand what you're supposed to do. So, tonight we're gonna look at, um, first, in, uh, we're gonna go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, last week, um, Rod on Easter talked about 1 Peter chapter 2. I, we sang a song earlier about 1 Peter chapter 2. If I went to a desert island and they said, I mean, it would be an odd scenario, but if they said, you're going to a desert island, and by the way, you can take one chunk of scripture, this little piece would be the piece that I would take. Um, so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse, um, I believe, my eyes are verse 21. Um, and here's the context. Peter, and some of you are familiar with this because you've been going through 1 Peter, but Peter, uh, he's talking to people who are exiles. Now, they're exiles in this sense. He's talking to 
All of these people who are scattered about, who are followers of Jesus, and some of them are Jewish, and some of them are Gentiles. So for the Jewish people, they no longer fit in their culture, but they do fit in their culture. And for the Greek, Greco-Roman people, they don't fit in their culture. And so they're being mashed together. They're being pushed together. It's like having a vegetarian and a meat-eating in-and-out guy having to live in the same house. Right? There's a pushing together, but not on top of that. Then everyone is persecuting them for some separate view that they both hold together. Okay, That's kind of the situation. So there's a suffering that's going on in the community of God, and they're kind of all scattered. And so this is the context that Peter is writing this to. And so this is what he says. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Now, when you read this, that seems to be kind of obvious. The first thing that, that, Jesus, or that Peter says is that you need to follow Jesus' example, and here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't sin. You shouldn't you know, yell uh, threats and insults at people who threaten and insult you. You shouldn't have a mouth of deceit. Right? You should do all of these very difficult things. And that's kind of the upfront thing that he lays down. Now, I'm going to guarantee you that I'll read this and I think, no, I can guarantee you I'm I'm going to sin. Like, I'm not capable of following this example. I'm going to lie. I'm going to sin. And I'm going to threaten people who threaten me. I guarantee it. So this is going to be, this is kind of a, a difficult passage for me. But there's a lot of times this first part is all that we normally read. Okay, I'm supposed to follow Jesus's example. And I think us, those of us who've grown up in the church tend to head this way a little more than others. But what we do is our life and our faith is built around those verses, those first lines. Don't sin. Don't lie. Don't, don't do these behavioral things. And what happens is that we get our heads kind of buried in that and, our, and, and we kind of build our life around that. Um, recently, I published a board game. Whoa. Uh, yay, yay, yay. It was it was a project that I did this year. It's really cool. I'm not bragging about it, but you could go buy it. I know I'm not supposed to use my pulpit here to you know advertise or anything, but here's the reason I talk about it. I spent hours and hours working on it, and afterwards I began to have people edit it. And what we were talking about when editing the different parts of it was that when you get into something that you've written so much, you begin to fix it mentally. Like you you even though it's not clear you're just fixing it because you've looked at it so much and so you need to get a little space you need to get a little away from it and then when you get away from it and have other people look at it and then you start looking at it you're like whoa there's something else here there's something bigger i would like to argue that inside of this little passage is something really deep and really big that will help us understand how better to approach following jesus 
helping other people heal and what that looks like. And what that has to do with is how our awareness. What are we actually aware of as people? And I want to argue that as human beings, we get caught up in behaviors so much that we actually become very unaware. And so I have a video clip that um, I want to use to demonstrate this, so hopefully we'll be able to pull this off um, because our computer crashed. But um, this video clip, just follow the instructions and hopefully you can see it. Hopefully this will work. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Look for cyclists. I think sometimes when we set out to follow Jesus, when we set out to imitate Jesus as a disciple, we really want some steps and we want some rules and we want some ways to behave. And what I want to argue is is that what happens is that we miss out on the real thing that God is calling us to as disciples. And it lands in this passage. And it, if we don't see it, and we get caught up in the steps, and we get caught up in the behaviors, we become very ineffective as people who offer healing to one another. And so I just want to show you a few things in this passage. Number one, it says that Jesus... Um, That when, that when when Jesus died on the cross, it was his wounds that healed us. And that he died so that you, he died for our sins, so that we can die to our sins, and that we can live rightly or righteously. Okay? So the, the thing that Peter is trying to draw out for us is it's not the first three things that are important for us to take note of, but the fact that Jesus died for us. But Jesus' whole point in coming and being with us was to die for us so that we could be healed and so that we could live rightly. And so what he's saying is, is that we, if we want to be like Christ in the midst of suffering and in the midst of brokenness, we have to be about other people. That our eyes have to be aware of other people's suffering. If we get so caught up in trying very hard to do the rules and to do the things that we want, you know, we think Jesus wants us to do, what we end up not realizing is that all of us are in need of healing. 
And that people have a deep, deep need to be healed, to have Jesus. But we have kind of lost sight of that. We, we lost sight of the moonwalking bear in there. You didn't even see it. That's right. Now, maybe I said this, but uh, Ryan McCulley yesterday had a shirt on. And on the shirt, the guy was looking at his cell phone and he was walking and it says focus because he's walking off a cliff because he's unaware of everything that's going on around him. And so here's the first point that I want you to hold on to really tightly. If we're going to be disciples who offer healing to one another, then we have to be about other people and not about ourselves and not about the things that we think need to get done and when they need to get done and how they need to get done. Okay? So we have to sharpen our awareness. Now, I want we're going to end up in the Tower of Babel, but I kind of want to walk you backwards. So if you could go to Matthew 7, or I will go to Matthew 7 for you, because Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount talks about how you and I might do this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, he talks about how we might grab hold of this awareness, how we might imitate Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, says this, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Now, you've all probably seen pastors grab a plank and put it in their eye and move around like this. And it's a wonderful illustration, right? Because you're whacking people with the plank when you're trying to help them and all those kinds of things. But here's the the principle I want you to hang on to that Jesus is trying to tell you. And that is that if you really want to heal other people and if you really want to be about other people and if you really want to offer Jesus to them, then you actually have to be willing to take a really good look not on how to fix yourself, but what exactly is this big plank in your eye? What is the thing that's making it difficult for you to actually see other people? What is making it difficult for you to know what people actually need? Okay. Now I want to. We're just going to. I want you to hold on to that. We're going to. We're just going to work our way all the way back to Genesis. So. We have 1 Peter. We're going to get back to that. We have Matthew in this plank. Now I want to take you to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And we're going to then land in the Tower of Babel. I know it seems kind of maybe a little ADD today, but it's important to me. So, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is... After God has created the world, this is what he says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God just finished creating the world and he looks at his people and he blesses them and he calls them to bless the rest of the world. He looks at Adam and Eve. This is what we call the first cultural mandate. This is where God says, here's the purpose for everyone. So the job that we all have in humanity is to go and bless it. To go take care of it, go subdue it, be fruitful and multiply. This is what we're supposed to be about. That humanity bears God's image and those image bearers go out and they bless the world and they subdue it and they take care of it. And God says it's a really good thing. Okay? It's a really good thing. That's what we're supposed to do. And that mandate has not changed. You and I are supposed to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Not, you know, abuse it. We're to subdue it. We're supposed to take care of it. Bring it from chaos to into control. Now, we all know Adam and Eve sinned. We all sinned. We turned our back on God, right? So if you think about it, Adam and Eve are facing God. They're face to face. God says, hey guys, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They say, no, we like that. So they eat from it, they disobey. And so what they do is they turn their back to God. And so that's the relationship that humanity has with God. It has its back to God. It's not in relationship okay, with God. And so they're sent out of the garden and they end up in Genesis chapter 11 with a plan. Now it's... Genesis chapter 11 is the building of the Tower of Babel. I just want to read this to you. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches into the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Okay. So, that plank that we have in our eye, it has two things in it. Now you look at these people. Their job is to go bless the earth, to subdue it. That's what humanity is supposed to do. What do they do? The first thing they want to do is they want to build a tower to make a name for themselves. Now all of us, all of us, have that desire in us, right? We all want to be important. We want to have a name for ourselves. Or as Larry Crabb says in The Marriage Builder, for those of you who have been reading it, we all want to be significant, right? We want to have significance. And so, these people, humanity says, you know what, we're going to build a tower. But not only are we going to build a tower, the second thing that's there in them is that they're like, we don't want to be scattered because we want to be safe. We want to be secure, right? So not only do we want to be significant, but we want to be safe. We want to be okay. And being scattered all over the place is dangerous. But we all have that desire. We all desire to be important. 
And we all have the desire to be safe or secure or loved. Like, we want to feel okay. Those are longings that God's put in us. But if you look at the mandate, God blesses people. And God sends them out. And God says, you bear my image, and what I've created is good. So what God has said to them is, your significance comes from me. And I say, you're good, and you're significant. Your safety comes from me, because what I've given you to do is my mandate to you. It's good. You will be okay. I will take care of you. But what did these, what did humanity do? And this is the thing that you and I do. They said, no, no, no. I want to take my importance into my own hands. I'm going to, we're going to build a tower so that we can see it and we can know, oh, I'm important. We're important. This is what we've created. And let's stick together because then we know we're safe. Now that plank, the thing that inhibits all of us, the thing that keeps our head down, the thing that keeps us resting in our proper behaviors and making sure we get everything right and and worrying about everything, is that we have decided and continue to decide that God's edict over us that we're significant and we're secure and we're loved and important is not enough and we need to figure out how to do it on our own. So my question to you tonight, as you think about how you are someone who walks into offering Jesus, is where is it that you're finding your significance? What makes you important? What's the thing outside of God that you're like, this is what makes me important? Is it your job? Is it the relationship you're in? Is it how much money you have in the bank account? Like, what are some, just throw some other things out at me that might make you, you think, that you just confess them right now. What's the thing that you're like, hey, this is what makes me significant. This is what I can hold on to that I'm important. Have you got any suggestions? Respect, Respect a really good job. Competency. Competency. Yes, sir. Football. Football. I'm nice. Being right. Being pretty. People paying attention to you talent what are some things where you're like well this is what makes me feel loved or secure i'm okay with like i feel safe it's providing for your wife words of affirmation money all of these things and more are things that we end up building our life around instead of God. And, and here's, a, here's a little clue, that if you're in your marriage and you're frustrated with your spouse, then most likely you have some significance and security issues going on with you. You have some, like, they're not doing what you want them to do. And so you've got issues going on. Same with your parenting, same thing at work. That when you're mad and angry at someone for what they're doing, it's usually about you. It's usually about what's going on with you, not with what's going on with them. And it makes it very difficult for you to be about them when it really is about you. And so you end up walking with this plank back and forth. You end up like the people in the Tower of Babel. No. You end up with your head down, thinking if we build a tower and we stick together, everything will be okay. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but 
when Jesus, or when God made humanity and he blessed them, it says he blessed them and then he sends them out. Basically, there are three ideas in Scripture of what a blessing is. The first thing that a blessing is, and we'll talk more about this as we go through the weeks, but the first thing a blessing is, is seeing someone. Being able to see someone. If you have your head down and you're working in on your things that make you significant, then you don't see people. So what happens is that when we get caught up in this thing of of it being about us and not accepting what God says about us and has done for us, then we don't see people. And so what happens is a lot of us come to church, even at the village where we're like, yeah, we, we are about intimacy, we're about asking good questions. A lot of us come and we're like, man, I'm not seen by anybody. People don't really know what's going on, which is the second part of blessing, knowing somebody, seeing them and knowing them. Like knowing their story. Like how many stories do you actually know? Like when you know somebody's story, it's easier to understand them. It's easier to understand what's going on with them. And the third thing in blessing that you see in Scripture is just calling. Like calling somebody out. Telling them who they are. So seeing them, knowing them, and calling them out. That's really what subduing and multiplying and doing, taking care of the earth is really just seeing people, seeing the world, knowing what's really going on and then calling it out of chaos and into order, making defining it for people. That's, that's what it's about. Now, that's what healing is about. When you really think about healing, it's not about somebody who was lame getting up and walking, though that's part of it. It's not emotionally being pulled. It's not about all those things as much as it is being around people who see you, who know your story, and call out truth about you. That's what healing is all about. And that's what Jesus does for us. Now, here's the problem. Most of our life, my life included, is built around constantly nurturing the things that make us feel important and the things that make us feel safe. And it's really, really hard to accept that God says, you're an image bearer and you're good. Like, what I have created is good. It's really hard for us to stand on that. And so it's very difficult for us to bless people. So I want to go back to First Peter because there inside is the secret to all this. You see, because Jesus, what he describes when he says you should imitate Jesus is he describes what Jesus actually does for you. And the key in that is that he says that Jesus on the cross, on his, his wounds are what heal you. And that you can now, because of that healing, die to the sin. So your sin doesn't control you. The lying, the threatening, all that, that doesn't control you anymore. But you can live. You can choose to live rightly. And not only can you choose to live rightly, but you once were wandering around, and now you have a shepherd and an overseer of your soul. Okay, So that cross represents, is, is Jesus on the cross is healing, And it says, here's a shepherd. Now, my son, when he was little, you know, we were potty training him. And he's a really dead sleeper. And so I would get up at night and wake him up and put him on the toilet and he would pee and he would stand up and he'd walk into the wall. And I would turn him around and he would walk and I'd have to guide him and he would just walk into whatever was in front of him. And that's who we were as people before Jesus offered his life for us. 
was sleepwalkers. Just dead. Now, it's still really hard for us to hold on to us because you see that cross, that healing, all that says, guess what, Eric, you're significant. So significant that I came and I died and my very wounds healed you. I know what it feels like to be you in your choosing to sin and the things that have been done to you. But it's really hard for us to hold on to that. So I'm going to help you. So we're going to take a minute. So I need a volunteer timer. Okay. I need one minute. I'll tell you when to start. Volunteer timer. What I want you to do is most of you are in twos, so you can do this. If you're not, then jump next to somebody or you can do it in threes. But I want you to stare at the person next to you. I want you to stare in their eyes and I do not want you to remove your eyes from their face for one minute. So Elliot will tell you to stop. So just stare at them. Go for it. Go start, Elliot. All right. What, what did you? What was your experience like? Frustrating. And what's that? It was easy for a husband and wife. They're staring. It was what? It was black. Okay. That was a minute. It was. It was painful. You guys were exceptionally quiet um, for for staring in people's eyes. Oh well, now you can stop. Okay. It was 30 seconds. Maybe, usually when you do that, it it gets awkward, right? Just staring at somebody's face. You feel like you need to say something. You want to turn away. It's very difficult to do. For us to be people who find our significance in Christ and our security in Christ, the first thing we have to do is be people who see Jesus. And a lot of us, staring at the cross, because we don't have a physical cross, because Jesus, we don't have a physical manifestation of Jesus as a man, is difficult for us to, to focus, to stare, to, it feels awkward. It, we, we, got, we can't figure it out. So here's what, I, here's what I want to offer to you. I would like you this week to simply do one thing. I want you to begin the practice of staring at the cross. Okay. Maybe you need to go find a wooden cross to stare at. But what I want you to do it is in a, in a metaphoric way. I want you, in your mind, to place Jesus on the cross, and I want you to awkwardly stare at him. And as you stare at Jesus, I want you just to think about the things that he's done for you. Out of First Peter, chapter two. Because what Peter, and I I come back to this passage a lot, but what Peter is saying is, look guys, the reason that Jesus was able to not sin and to not threaten and to not lie was because he so deeply cared about your healing. 
He so deeply cared about your transformation, so much so that He was going to be on a cross, He was going to be wounded, He's going to feel your abuse, your sin, everything that you experience, He's going to experience for you so that He can do something amazing, which is shepherd and oversee your soul. Like to actually care for you. So as you stare at the cross, the thing that I want you to hold on to is that I don't need to find my significance somewhere else. I don't need to find my security somewhere else. Because Jesus is screaming loudly at you that you are significant. Significant enough that He came fully God and fully man and died for you. And that the very wounds that He bore heal you and give you an opportunity to live rightly. But what's really cool about that is instead of having your head down, you can walk with your head up. Because you're no longer here for you. You no longer walk in this room saying, you know what, I'm here. I need this. You're walking in this room being very aware that we have, we're all broken and bleeding and wounded people. And we become aware. And so we can see each other. And we can know each other. And we can begin to call each other out as to who we really are. And to me, that's super exciting. That the key to beginning to being a disciple is understanding that your significance, your security, your importance, you feeling loved, all comes centered on the cross. Like it's screaming out, you're okay. It's good. You're my image bearer. Look around at the people. See them. Know them. So when Jesus or when Peter says, be an imitator of Jesus in the midst of oppression and suffering, in the midst of being pushed together and being different, what he's saying is, lift up your head. Stop looking down. Lift up your head and look at Jesus. And out of that, the more longer you look at him, the more reflexively you will be like him. That's what I have to offer you tonight. What's the time? Somebody get 620. Wow. I should pray. Jesus, thank you um, for tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for baby dedications and for beautiful weather. I just ask that as we eat together and as we sing together and as we take communion together, um, that you would bind us and that your cross would be the center of us. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.